The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Let's pray again, church. And Father, as we gather this morning, we do consider all that you have done for us, and we are grateful. Grateful that we can be here, called by your name, that we can gather in your name to sing praises to your name. And now as we set our attention upon your word, we pray that you would work through it, even by means of weak and broken vessels, that your glory would shine all the brighter today. Work and move and minister and have your way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat, if you will. Suggesting if you need me louder or quieter, I can't hear myself, so you can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. A little louder. All right. Well, I remember when I was a child in, in Minnesota watching television programs at certain times of the year, and we would end up with messages scrolling across the bottom of the screen, telling us of some breaking news, something that we needed to be aware of. And even at times, the show we were watching would be interrupted, and there would be a newscaster there giving information that was so important that they needed to interrupt the programming. In Minnesota, it was often tornado warnings, need to find shelter, go down to the basement, whatever uh, you had in place. As I've been looking at our passage this morning, Mark chapter 10, it seems a little like that to me. Like there's this interruption. Here we are, our normal uh, program, if you were. And then all of a sudden, we have this stop, this break, this pause, this interruption that takes place in Jericho. And at first reading, it seems like it's not quite in the flow of what has been taking place of the direction that things have been going. If you've been following along with us, you know that Jesus has been speaking more and more to his disciples about what awaited in Jerusalem. And as he's speaking to his disciples about what awaited in Jerusalem, that is his betrayal, his death, his burial, his resurrection, as he's been speaking these lessons to them, they have also physically been moving closer to Jerusalem. And as they get closer, the lessons that Jesus is teaching them become even more clear about what would be experienced in Jerusalem. Even last week, we saw that Jesus, he was the one leading 
as this group was walking toward Jerusalem, he knew where he was going. He knew why he was going there. He was a man on a mission, a mission that God had sent him on to accomplish the redemption of humanity. Well, then we come to Mark 10, verse 46, and and we have this interruption. We have this stop. No longer uh, this consistent, steady progress toward Jerusalem, but even as they are leaving Jericho on the way to Jerusalem, hold on, stop the programming. There's something that needs to be tended to here. At first, it seems an interruption, but it's not. And I want us to see that because as Jesus has been teaching about his purpose in Jerusalem, he has also, right along with that, been teaching his disciples that the least among them would be the greatest. The first among them would be the last, and the last would be first. All right, we've been working on memorizing these. This is good. It's not an interruption. It's not a delay. It's a valuable lesson that Jesus is teaching about service, about need, about discipleship. So let's look at this together this morning. Starting in verse 46, they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, this is interesting because here is Bartimaeus. He's the son of Timaeus, that is, Bar-Timaeus. So his name is repeated, Bartimaeus. He is the, the Bartimaeus, the son. Bar means son. He's a blind beggar. He's sitting by the roadside. We're going to see Jesus perform a miracle in this man's life. And of all the accounts in Mark's gospel of Jesus' miracles, Bartimaeus is the one who is named. We have other people named who are associated with some of those miracles. Jairus' daughter, for example. But the daughter was the recipient of that healing. But she's not named. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is the one who is named. And we're told that he is a blind beggar. Thinking of our memory verse from the last two weeks, even our passage last week focused on on being the lowest, of being one who doesn't aim for greatness in the way that the, the world understands greatness. This man, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar sitting by the roadside. He was about as low as you could go. He was in a low place in society. You see, begging wasn't his occupation by choice. He didn't pick that, yes, someday, I hope to be on the roadside in Jericho begging money from people. No, this was out of necessity. As a blind man, he would have no way 
of earning a living. No job. He didn't live in an ADA world like we have today. No welfare system to help take care of him. So begging, depending on the kindness of others, or in some cases, maybe the pity of others, that is how he was sustained. Day by day, sitting there on the roadside, dependent on others, help me, help me, sustain me. Day by day, that pattern would repeat for him, being at that place, calling, asking, looking for others to sustain him. Verse 47, we read, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is really astounding, what Bartimaeus is communicating here. First of all, it's in this place of dependence, it's in this place of desperation that he begins to cry out. He can't see, but he can hear. He hears footsteps. Maybe as he's sitting by the roadside, he can even feel the shaking of the earth from this great crowd as their feet are pounding along down the path. He hears a murmur and a rumble, maybe as they talk along the way, kicking up dust that he would be sitting down and maybe even filling his nostrils. And he cries out into the direction of the crowd, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Not asking for coins, not calling out to this great crowd, if everyone would give me just one coin, if everyone would give me just a little bit, I would be so well off today. No, there was one person in this great crowd that he was crying out to, and he knew this is the man that I need. Jesus, son of David. He's the one that might change my life, the one that might give me a better future. I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. This is profound in in a couple of ways. One is his recognition of Jesus, the son of David. We don't often refer to Jesus as the son of David. We refer to him as Christ, as Lord. As we've been working our way through Mark's gospel, we've seen him referred to as the son of man. But son of David, where did that come from? 
And how is it that blind Bartimaeus knows this about Jesus? This is messianic, the son of David. This is something that the Jews knew. There would be one who would come according to God's promise that would continue on in the lineage of David that God had promised to David that his throne and his dominion would be established forever. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Your throne will be established forever. Now that would extend far beyond the life of David, far beyond even his son. So the blind man, even without sight, recognizes who Jesus is. Think about his place there. Now Jericho. Jericho was on the way to Jerusalem. So with the festivals that would take place in Jerusalem and all the travelers going to Jerusalem, all of the travelers leaving Jerusalem to go back to their homes, Jericho would be a place that they would commonly be passing through. Bartimaeus, he would be on the roadside in Jericho. And as these great crowds would pass through, whether it be for pilgrimage or just travel in general, a busy place, a busy road, he listened, he heard. He began to hear stories about Jesus and all of his healings, all of the miracles that he had performed, all of the great things that people were saying about him. Maybe he even heard the Pharisees and the scribes arguing or complaining or grumbling about Jesus, plotting against him. I don't know what all those things were that he might have heard, but he had heard enough to know Jesus is the son of David. He recognizes who Jesus is. And he cries out. This coming Messiah, this coming Messiah, he is the one that will give sight to the blind. And he cries out. But what's profound is that he also recognizes himself. He recognizes Jesus, son of David, but then he cries out, have mercy on me. That's a confession. That's an honest assessment of himself. Have mercy on me. This is humility that Bartimaeus is expressing. This is dependence that he's expressing. This Jesus, this son of David, is one greater than I am. I am a man in need, and Jesus, not just this mass crowd in general looking for coins, but Jesus is the one that I need to look to for mercy. I need kindness to be shown It's not something I deserve. It's not something that I have earned. 
And that's why it's mercy. It's mercy. Have mercy on me. Bartimaeus shows us this right posture of the heart in calling out to Jesus. Not, I'm entitled to this. You owe me this. I demand this. His cry is for mercy. Please show kindness to me. You're greater than me. You can help me. I'm dependent upon you. And in humility, he cries out. Verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Even when others were discouraging him, don't call out to Jesus. Jesus is too busy, perhaps. He has other things on his mind, perhaps. We don't know if this was the disciples or people of the city or other people of this great crowd that were traveling along with Jesus. We, we're not told who it is or even for what their reason is. But regardless of those particulars, they were trying to discourage Bartimaeus from crying out, but he would not be discouraged. He would not give up. Son of David, he cries out, all the more, have mercy on me. Jesus is here. This is my opportunity. I need him. I will not stop crying. I will not stop calling And Jesus stopped and said, verse 49, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. You can almost see that there were some now in the crowd excited. Take heart. Be encouraged. Take take courage, Bartimaeus, and get up quickly. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Many commentators make much of this cloak that he throws off in verse 50. Springing up, coming to Jesus. This cloak for a man such as Bartimaeus, a a blind man, would have been such a, a key possession for him. What I read was that for a, a beggar, they would often sit there on the roadside and Their cloak is what they would catch coins in. They would wrap themselves at night as a blanket and as a bed. Here is Bartimaeus even wearing it, covered with it. In verse 50, when Jesus calls him, he throws off his cloak. He springs up and he comes to Jesus almost like a security blanket, if you will. I know for all of our three children, not to insult Bartimaeus, but for our three children, they had blankets as they were young, and those for them were so important. If we went on a trip, uh, as we would put them to bed, they, they had those blankets. And without those blankets, they were sometimes just out of sorts. Well, here's Bartimaeus and this cloak, 
this cloak that would have been used to collect coins, this cloak that would have covered him and kept him warm in those desert nights. He throws it off. This garment, this tool, this bedding, he throws off to come to Jesus. That was his priority. I must get to Jesus. I want to receive mercy. Now we see this exchange directly between them. Verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Does that question sound familiar? What do you want me to do for you? If you were here last week, do you remember James and John, the two disciples of Jesus? We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And so he asks Bartimaeus this same question. What do you want me to do for you? James and John, the way that they responded was by asking Jesus to do something that he was unable to do. Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. They were asking for prestige. They were asking for a greater place. Even with all of their their senses, all of their faculties, I want you to understand that. James and John could see, they could hear. They had walked along with, with Jesus in ministry. They were called by him, became followers of him. They had heard his teachings. They had watched his example. When Jesus feeds a multitude with five loaves and two fish, James and John were part of that group that went after and picked up those 12 baskets full of fragments. James and John were part of that group sent out by Jesus, taking only a staff and sandals and depending on God to provide for them. And they were used mightily in service of the kingdom of God. They came back celebrating all that God had done through them. They had watched Jesus, seen with their eyes, healing after healing, serving outcasts, serving the oppressed. They had seen with their own eyes Jesus walking on water. They heard him calm the storm by the word of his power. Who was it that went with Jesus up the mountain where he was transfigured? Peter, James, and John. They got to see the glory of Jesus revealed right before their own eyes appearing with Moses and Elijah. And yet for all of this, they wanted more. Not necessarily more of Jesus, that's a good thing. But no, they wanted more prestige. They wanted more acclaim. They wanted a greater position. They had much, but they wanted more 
They wanted to be raised higher. This wasn't godly ambition that James and John show. Striving for greater holiness or to be used in more meaningful service. No, they wanted recognition and they wanted rank. Selfish, self-serving, advancing the kingdom of self. We deserve this. Give us whatever we ask of you. The sense of entitlement. How different is Bartimaeus? How different is Bartimaeus? Son of David, have mercy on me. I don't deserve it. I'm not entitled to it. But I come humbly. I said last week in the sermon that James and John were really a poor example of prayer. And from them, hopefully, we can start to learn this lesson of humility in our prayer, of listening in our prayer, not just making our own demands and then going our own way. Bartimaeus is a good example of this in prayer, humility and listening. Why do you think Bartimaeus was such an astute listener? Why do you think that he was able to pick up that Jesus was the son of David, one able to show mercy toward him? Why did he hear the sound of the crowd and begin calling out? Why did he recognize, not not by sight, but by use of his other senses, that Jesus was the Messiah? the one he should look to for mercy. I would suggest that it's not in spite of his blindness, but in large part due to his blindness. In large part due to his blindness. With that removed, other senses heightened, depending on those things even more, Bartimaeus was a man that had been humbled. His blindness had humbled him. It had brought him to a place where he was dependent. You're not going to find an attribute more lovely in God's eyes, but despised in the world's eyes, than humility. Humility. God looks upon that with favor. The world despises it. Even our memory verse that we're working on these next two weeks, James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. We need to do more than just commit that to memory We need to work to put it in practice in our lives. We also need to work to recognize where God is working in our lives. How is God humbling me? What is testing me beyond my strength? What is being stripped away, causing me to depend more upon him? 
Peter writes to the church, the churches in Asia in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble receive grace. Jesus, son of David, this blind man calls in humility, have mercy on me. I'm dependent upon you. If his blindness had humbled him, his blindness had also taught him to learn to listen even better than if he had the function of his eyes, even better than if he had perfect sight. It taught him to learn to listen. That's a lesson we need to learn as well. We tend to function so much by sight. Circumstances, scenarios, situations, and the things going on around us, and we respond and we react to them based on what we see and and sometimes what we can figure, what we can make sense of in our own minds. Instead of bringing these things humbly before God and saying, God, direct, God, lead. Even if that's a decision that doesn't seem to make perfect sense, even if it doesn't all calculate out in my mind, but trusting in you to learn to listen and recognize that God works in these ways of humbling us to make us depend more on him and listen more to him. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second letter to them. He says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul says that what they had suffered, what they had gone through in Asia, burdened, utterly burdened beyond our strength, despairing even of life itself, thinking they had received the sentence of death. It's over. It's the end. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Has God brought you to that place Have you experienced something of that in your life? Brought to the end of yourself, not relying on yourself, but on God, who raises the dead? If he can raise the dead 
to life? Can't we trust him in our trials, in our afflictions? Can't we trust him that it's not just to carry us through? That's, that's what I want us to understand this morning, church. It's not just for God to carry us through. Whew, got through that. Hope I never have to go through that again. But to carry us through so that we can recognize the glory of God even in the trial. And that we can see on the other side of the trial, it was God all along who was carrying me along, who was sustaining me. That we would stop relying on ourselves in our trials. That when we have difficulties to know God is here, God is at work On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul's calling out, pray, pray. Because the more we pray, the more it shows our dependence on God, the less of our dependence on ourselves. And then when God does, in whatever way, whatever form or fashion, bring us through, he gets all the more glory. Wasn't me. I can take no credit. It was all God. Glory be to his name. So where are you suffering, church? Where would you say is your trial and your adversity? Is there something that maybe even you think really got the short end of the stick on this deal? This isn't going the way that I hoped. I, I, I deserve better. I deserve more. What hardship have you faced? Can you recognize that in that, God is working? Can you see that in that adversity, God is wanting you to not depend on your own strength, but recognize that when you are weak, he shows himself to be strong? Can you see that in that, God is drawing you to himself, that you would pray? That you would humble yourself even as Paul humbled himself and asked for others to be praying for him. Those adversities, those trials are on purpose. God uses those to humble us, to depend on him, to utilize what he's provided prayer and the prayers of others on our behalf. God brings us through adversity. God brings us through trial to shape us, to mold us. And in that, then, we appreciate all the more what we have in him. It was you all along, Lord, that I most desired, that I most needed, 
It was you all along, even in the midst of that trial and that storm, Lord, you were there that carried me. This blind Bartimaeus, asked by Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Makes this very simple request. Rabbi, let me recover my sight. We don't quite get it in our English translations, but when he calls Jesus rabbi, it's actually a shortening of rabboni. And where rabbi would be teacher or a leader, rabboni is even stronger. Master. Lord, that's blind Bartimaeus addressing Jesus, Master and Lord. This is a confession, a confession of faith that Bartimaeus is making. Master and Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. His faith, his faith in Jesus had made him well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is such a great picture of discipleship. That Bartimaeus comes to Jesus in humility and independence. He's a recipient of mercy. And he then becomes a follower. Jesus says, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And the way that Bartimaeus chooses to go is with Jesus. I'm with you. I was blind, but now I see I'm with you. I've recovered my sight, and I'm following you on the way. This was the way to Jerusalem. This is the way to where Jesus would be betrayed, where he would stand before rulers and be condemned to death. This was the way to where Jesus would be beaten and bruised, where he would be crucified, where he would be killed, and he would be buried ultimately to rise again. And Bartimaeus is following Jesus. Even in these last days of Jesus' earthly life, Bartimaeus is following him, a disciple of his. So this passage then isn't an interruption of the regularly scheduled programming. But this passage fits perfectly within the plan of God. That Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And even on the road to Jerusalem, even as they near Jerusalem, it's no interruption for Jesus to stop and to serve and to heal and to bring Bartimaeus along 
as a follower of his. He has come leading the way so that we might follow him as one who serves. And he leads us, shows mercy to us as our master and our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that even as we read scripture, that we can see ourselves in these stories, not as the hero, as the blind beggar, as the one dependent upon you for mercy, as the one in need. And I pray that we also would show the same humility that Bartimaeus had in coming to you and calling out to you, in looking to you. And even as Paul asked for the prayers of the church, that we would be humble enough to come to our brothers and sisters and ask the same, that you would be even more glorified through us when these prayers are answered. Father, draw us to you in our difficulties, in our trials, in the storms of life. Keep us from trying to be self-sustained because we cannot be. Keep us from trying to be dependent on ourselves, but to look to you, to cling to you to rely upon you, knowing that it is you every day, every step along the way that we need. And it's in you that we find our joy and our peace. Draw us near to you, Lord God, and show us your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.